Expose my mind to clarity Oh, my spirit shudders Capture the moment, oh, to keep my sanity And the wisdom rushing in So much clearer Welcome back to another episode of Oh Shoot. I'm your host, Cassidy Lynn, and today's episode is an advice column episode. I actually have a new name for it, thanks to one of your submissions. It's called WWCD. What would Cassidy do? So that's what today's episode is. What would I do? I'll I'll tell you. Don't you worry. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I have an announcement for today's podcast episode. I actually have two announcements. Like, why not, right? Like, why not just double announce on this episode? So I do have some things, some updates that I want to give you guys before we jump in. And we do have a lot of submissions. So I got to get going. Here we go. Number one. And this is the most important update for the episode. I am announcing today, if you're listening on Monday, that my podcast, Oh Shoot, is having a pop-up party. It is called Oh Shoot Pop-Up, and it is going to be April 18th in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Tickets are going live at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So depending on the time you listen to this episode, it might already be live, but there's limited tickets. There's only like 40, 45 tickets. I think, um, it, there is a ticket cost. There are lots of fun things happening. You can find out more about it on the like Eventbrite link. And I'll link it in the description of this episode, but it's going to be so fun. There's going to be a live recording from me. We're going to do some horror stories. We're going to do a live Q and a, so that's going to be like a pop-up party exclusive along with exclusive pop-up party merch. It's going to be a pop-up merch store. Yeah. It's going to be so much fun. I have some fun sponsors for the goodie bags, like the door bags when you enter. So yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun guys. And it's going to be amazing because my sister is helping me plan it and she's an amazing wedding planner. So she's just good at planning parties. So you guys know it's going to be good. So go check out more about the party. It's going to be linked in the description of this episode. Like I said, it's going to be in Grand Rapids, Michigan. As of right now, this is the only podcast party I plan on having. If this goes well, maybe I'll do them other places. But for right now, this is it. If you want to fly into Grand Rapids for this party, you're more than welcome to. Okay. You can meet me. We'll hang out. Have a good time. Podcast party. Go check that out. Um, Second thing that I wanted to announce is I have finally announced the topic of my new course, um, which if you guys haven't picked up on it yet, (laughs) I feel like I've been pretty obvious about it, but my new course is launching in a couple of weeks. I think it's going to be in two weeks or like one week at this point. And it is an 
educator influencer course. So basically my new course is talking all about how to be an educator, how to be an influencer, all the technical things you need to know, um, how to create a community, how to monetize an education business, like all of it. I basically, I basically give you guys all the secrets to how I run my business right now. And I mean, yeah, why not? I'm just telling you guys everything you need to know. So that's going to be, it's called find your influence is what it's called. Um, I'm going to link the email list sign up. So if you want like the first details on when the course launches and all of that, that's also going to have a limited amount of students um, because I'm doing like, yeah, it just makes more sense. I want to be able to like actually like be present with all the students. So, um, yeah, it's going to be limited number of students. It's all pre-recorded, So it's like work at your own pace. Um, I'm really excited. I think it's a very valuable course, probably like my top valued course, I would say it's, yeah, it's crazy. I literally can't believe I'm (laughs) literally sharing all those secrets, but it's fine. (laughs) Okay. Next I have a few like non- work related updates. Number one, we planned our road trip for March. And if you guys are new around here, every March, me and Charlie like to take a road trip. We have like a camper and we just drive and we figure out where we're going a couple months before book the campsites, all of it. So we have it all planned out. I'm really excited. We are going to a lot of fun places. Um, so I'm going to put out like a travel list and I'm going to book sessions. I'm even considering doing like a little like style shoot type of thing where maybe me and Charlie model and like you come and you take photos of us and it's like, like a style shoot as well. I don't know. And that's, this is kind of like the thought, my, my thought process is I don't really know what exactly like shoot wise I'm going to be doing on this road trip, but I definitely am going to be doing lots of fun stuff. So we're going to New Mexico. We're going to Phoenix. We're going to Palm Springs. We're going to be in the San Diego area. We're going to be in, in up and in, near LA. So stay tuned for that. I'm super, super excited. That's always like the best feeling is when you have like a trip coming up and you can look forward to it. That's kind of like the feeling I have now. I'm like, finally, I have something that's coming up soon that I can look forward to. So it's literally in a month. Um, okay. The other non-work related things, this is going to be at this point, it just feels like I had such big announcements and now I'm like, okay, this feels stupid. Um, I'm really proud of my nails that I did last night. (laughs) I painted cherries on my nails. If you're watching on YouTube, I'll try to make it so you guys can see. They're so cute. I had this obsession with cherries when I was in fourth grade and I just love my nails so much. So shout out me for doing my nails and doing them cute. Um, And then the other thing that I just wanted to like put out there, we have this like weird water spot (laughs) on our ceiling in on our main floor. And it is like, scaring me guys. It's like starting to bubble. And I like had this guy like come look at it and he gave us a quote to fix it. And I'm just like, how does this happen? Like there's not even like a bathroom above it. It's like, apparently it's like a leak from like the roof. I don't even know, but I'm like, bro, like for real, like a water leak. So that's just been taking out my week. It's just like this never ending fear that my ceiling is going to cave in on me. Okay. That sounds a bit extreme. It's really not. 
that serious, but anyway, that's what I've been dealing with this week. I hope you guys are having a great week. Um, yeah. And I hope that this episode gives you some advice, helps you guys learn a couple of things. And if not, you're along for the ride with me. Okay. Let's get into these advice submissions. Okay. So I had you guys put your names down. So some of them have names, some of them don't. This one's from Kristen. How do you go about writing and planning out timelines with your couples? How far in advance do you plan a wedding timeline with them? I just began lead shooting my own weddings after two years of second shooting. And I just want to know what your tips are for making timelines with your couples and how to make sure the wedding flows seamlessly. Also, how do you make sure you have enough time for flat lays and detail shots at the start of a wedding day? I know flat lays take some time. So do you show up early to make sure you get them done or do you add that time into their coverage time? P.S. I absolutely love your brand and everything you are, you represent. You've taught me so much in such little time. And I really just want to say thank you. Oh, thank you, Kristen. So we've got a couple of questions kind of jam packed into your submission. So I'm going to go through them one by one. Um, your first question is, how do you go about writing and planning timelines with your couples? And if I'm going to answer this, I want you to know that it is different for every couple that I work with. Some of my couples have planners, have coordinators, and don't really need me. And that's okay. And some of my couples don't have planners and need a little bit of insight. So basically what I do as far as timeline goes, I kind of lay low with my couples until about a month before their wedding. And that's when I send them their questionnaire. When I send the questionnaire, like I give the option to be like, Hey, we can hop on a phone call. Um, you know, sometimes my questionnaire for my couples is a wake up call and they're like, Oh my gosh, we have nothing figured out. We have no idea any of the answers to this. And so I kind of help them fill out that questionnaire if they need help with it. And the questionnaire just kind of goes over like all of my, details I need to know. Basically I have the template linked in my shop. If you want to go buy it, it's like $15 or something. Um, or maybe it's like 30, but regardless, I send a questionnaire and that really helps with like the timeline of it. Um, I personally just kind of, I tell my couples just my experience and what I think they need timeline wise. I do share a wedding guide with my couples and that goes out to them right when they book me. And that wedding guide has it's literally 50 pages long and it talks all about like how long you need for each t part in the day. Like if you're doing a first look, here's how much time you need for those things. Um, and I do give my couples like a sample timeline and stuff like that. So I give a lot of resources to my couples, um, to the point where sometimes I find that they don't always need me to make a timeline. Um, but usually after the questionnaire, after they send me back the questionnaire, then I can figure out, okay, dinner's at this time. And, um, I don't know, they're starting to get ready at this time. So, you know, the exits at this time, I'm going to kind of write out a photography timeline and send it over to them. That's usually the bare minimum I do is just make a photography timeline after I get the questionnaire and I send it to them and just get their approval on that. Um, let's go to your other question. Um, how far in advance do you plan a wedding timeline out with them? If they have a planner, sometimes the planner comes to me a month or two before. Um, but like I said, usually 30 days before is kind of what I shoot for. And at that point they should have like the idea of what time dinner is going to be, what time, 
exits going to be stuff like that. Um, and then you asked about flat lays. How do you make sure you have enough time for flat lays and detail shots? For me, I don't feel like I need more than 15 minutes for those things. Um, 15 to 20 minutes on my timeline. When I make it, I block myself 15 minutes for details and flat lays. And I try not to go over that just because I feel like it's really easy to get caught up in those details. And I can completely miss the fact that, you know, getting ready is happening and there's other candid moments to be captured besides these flat lays. So I try to give myself around 15 minutes, but I will say I arrive usually 15 minutes early to my timeline. And I do usually start my details and flat lays 15 minutes early. Cause I find that like by the time I walk in and say hi and grab all the stuff that can take five or even 10 minutes. Once you like get to the spot, you want to take the photos so yeah, I would say 15 minutes is what I need. And then I show up a little bit early just in case. Um, I wouldn't do much longer than that personally, unless it's like a big thing. That's a part of your brand. I just don't think it's the most important part of a wedding day. So yeah. Okay. We're going to move on to a submission from Haley. Haley says, Hey, Cassidy, I'm 18 and I've been doing photography or trying to since I was 13, but I've only been actually pursuing it as a career for the last year-ish. I feel like so many people that inquire and book with me are only doing it because they think I'm cheap because I'm young and then rarely actually book me. I'm definitely not charging much. I don't really know what to do. I just feel like people don't really give me a chance because I'm young. That's a good question. Haley, honestly, you're doing great. I do think that as you get more experience, your reputation gets better and word of mouth starts to grow and you do start to get some of those higher end bookings. That's just kind of how it works in the industry. Honestly, any industry, the more experience you have, the more you have in your portfolio, like I don't know, like you're going to get better bookings. You're going to get higher end bookings. People are actually going to want to charge or pay what you charge. Um, right now, it kind of sounds like maybe you have some friends or family or people you know that are booking you and they know your age. I think honestly, if I were you, I wouldn't tell people my age unless they asked. And I would try to like not give indications of what my age is because I think at any age, you can do photography well, you can run a good business. So I would say kind of just like leave that out of it and just run your business how you want to. Like, I do think your portfolio, your experience, like your gear, all of that and your experience, like your client experience, I think all of that plays into how much you can charge. And as you get more experienced, you can start to raise that number up. Um, right now, I mean, you've been in business for a year sometimes prices do mean like lower prices. Sometimes they attract certain types of clients and sometimes it communicates that you don't value your work. So if you feel like your portfolio is built up to a point where you can charge a little bit more, that will help people take you more seriously. But at the same time, if you raise up your prices, you might find that maybe some people don't book with you anymore or you don't get as many bookings because of it. So it's you kind of just have to figure out what direction you want to go. I feel like if you keep your prices lower and just kind of power through it, like that's a great solution because then you're still building your portfolio and you're still getting the experience. So then you can raise your prices sooner. 
I don't know. It's hard, but I think truly you just have to power through it because your age does not equal your talent and you can be a talented photographer at any age. Honestly, some people are, I've seen three-year-olds with cameras and they take great photos. Like you don't, I, I feel like the thing that people are probably more focused on is like the business side of it. They're like, Oh, an 18 year old running a business rather than like, you know, someone that's 30 running a business, it just feels different. So I feel like it's more the business side of it where, I don't know, people are just weird. (laughs) I'm sorry that you feel that way. This next one's from Rachel. Rachel says, hey girl, thank you for being my weekly solace and constant inspiration to be a better photographer. You're welcome. I launched my business two years ago after doing photography as a hobby for six years This past fall, I decided to raise my prices for booking season since I have five weddings under my belt as a lead shooter, not including multiple second shooting gigs. Since I've raised my prices, I've received multiple increases for weddings and only booked the ones I was willing to give a discount on because they were my ideal client. All the other weddings and sessions who I give my full price packages to don't book me. I've determined it's because of my price point and I'm only attracting bargain shoppers. I've gotten advice to lower my prices if I want more bookings, but I also believe I've worked very hard to get to this point where I'm charging what I think I'm worth. I also have gotten advice to stay strong until the right clients come along that see my worth. Do I lower my prices to book more bargain shoppers or stay strong for the investors? (laughs) This is the girl that said, WWCD, what would Cassidy do? What would I do? Oh, you're in such a tough boat. So you have five weddings under your belt as a lead shooter. There comes a point where it's like, okay, you've solo shot weddings, but are they weddings that you think if a high-end client saw that wedding, they would want to book you because of that gallery? That's what you have to think about because if you want to be attracting higher end clients that are willing to pay higher prices, you have to have something in your portfolio that communicates that higher end feel that communicates the value that they are seeing in you. And I found at the beginning of my career that my portfolio, while I had plenty of solo weddings under my belt, It wasn't until I shot, actually it was a styled shoot that looked the way that I wanted my work to look. And that's when I started really getting inquiries of clients that that weren't my ideal client, that matched the vibe, um, you know, had the budget that I had my price at. And truly, truly, your ideal client is still going to book you at a lower price. But if your price is too high, your ideal client might be turned away from that. Um, When people are looking for a photographer, it's, Oh, I feel like it's always better to stay on that lower side just in case Um, and I'm not, that's not necessarily my advice to you, but like in this, I don't know, like, (laughs) I feel like I'm contradicting myself, but when I think about someone looking for a photographer, they could see someone like you who has, you know, weddings under the, their belt. Maybe they're not 
the types of weddings that you want to be shooting necessarily. If I see someone that I feel like has potential and they're at a lower price point, I'm going to book them because I think they have potential. Whereas if someone's at a higher price point, but their photos or their portfolio or the types of weddings they shoot don't match that price point, I'm not going to book them because I don't think that their work is worth the price. Um, So I would say in your case, not saying that your work isn't worth a higher price, but what I am saying is it's better to lean on that lower side and get the experience and get booked out. So then you can start to get to the point where you are booking higher end weddings. I think you're trying to jump a step too quickly. I think you're trying to jump into a higher market too fast without being in that phase where you, you know, are booking a ton and just building your portfolio, getting experience and like networking, getting your name out there. I think that is really what you need to focus on. It can be hard because you feel like I'm worth more than what these people are paying me. But there is a time and place where you kind of just have to like do that. You know, that's what I have to say. (laughs) Oh boy, this is, uh, if you guys keep asking me these hard questions, I am literally, I don't know if I can handle it. Okay. That actually wasn't that hard. It's just, it's tricky. It's like, what is the right answer? Honestly, like, I don't know. I can't predict the future. I don't know how things are going to go. But I hope that was helpful for you. Okay, this next one's from Taylor. Taylor says, I'm traveling to a foreign country and I have a question about travel gear. People have made me nervous about getting things stolen. How did you carry your camera in Italy? That's where I'm heading along with Switzerland. That's a really good question. And this is also something that I feared as well when I traveled internationally. People made me really scared about having my camera out. I would recommend having a small purse that you can always keep in front of you, like a sling or something like that, and keeping a small camera with you. I personally didn't travel with like my big camera when I was in Italy only once. And when I did, I was wearing my big camera backpack. Um, It's up to you if you want to bring your big camera places, but I personally found it does kind of make you a little bit of a target. So if you can get a compact like travel digital camera just for like fun little photos you want to take, that's probably what I would recommend. If you do want to bring your big camera with you, another option would be getting like a smaller backpack and just keeping it on the front of you while you're in busy places or while you feel unsafe and keeping that camera in the smaller camera backpack. Like I have like one of those, uh, I think it's called like fall Raven or something like that. Um, I have one of their little tiny backpacks and that one's great for travel and it holds my full camera body with a lens as well. So that could be a good option if you want to bring your full camera places, just keep that on the front of you truly like who cares? Keep your stuff safe. If you don't look the cutest, that's fine. (laughs) Like I'd rather look ugly. I'm not saying you'd look ugly, but I'd rather like, you know, be less appealing with my backpack on the front of me than have someone steal my stuff and like lose five grand worth of gear. Um, there are moments where you can just feel like, I don't feel like this would be a good time for me to bring my camera. Like, Oh, I'm going to be doing something with a lot of people around, or I'm going to be going to like, 
I don't know, like tourist attractions, maybe like don't bring your camera if you feel unsafe. Um, but yeah, it's a great question. This next one is from Jasmine. Jasmine says, how do you find consistency when you're editing photos? I feel like I know my editing style, but how do I make them consistent for all of my galleries? I use the same presets, but I still struggle. So Jasmine, I think the issue for you is not the preset in the edit. It's the photo itself. So a lot of the times people are like, I feel like my work isn't consistent, but it starts with your photos. A lot of the times it can feel like it's the edit that's wrong. But if the base of the photo is not consistent, that's where you're going to see the issues. And I'm talking about all sorts of things. I'm talking about lighting. If you don't consistently have similar types of lighting, um, that can be something that can lead to lack of consistency. Um, if you are always shooting, you know, if you're overexposing one gallery, underexposing another, uh, focal length, that's a big thing. Outfits as well, like colors. These are things that lead to consistency. So I would say focus more on like composition, colors, outfits, location, lighting, lenses, and make sure you really hone in on that. Then you're going to see consistency, I promise. And I'm not saying you have to shoot all in the same location all the time, all the same lighting. I'm just saying you need to figure out, number one, what is your definition of consistency? Uh, does that mean all my photos look the exact same? Or does that mean they all kind of fall under the same style umbrella? Um, you know, you can shoot with blue skies and then you can shoot in the greens of trees and it all looks consistent within your definition. So you really have to figure out what is my definition of consistency in the first place and really dial back to the photo itself. Great question. Okay. This next one's from Nina. Hi, Cassidy. I'm brand new to photography and I'm currently building my portfolio. I shoot with the Sony a6400 and I have two lenses, a 35 and a 24 to 105. I've been doing some practice shoots recently and I feel like my images are not always as crisp as I would like. I have tr a trade work shoot coming up for an Instagram account with a large following and I'm hoping to provide quality images for them. The shoot would be inside and outside of a mansion on the water here in Florida and the rental company who owns the home is looking for images that showcase fine details of the home and a family with young kids utilizing the amenities like the pool, the hot tub, darts, putting green, etc. They also want holiday images to use in the future and we'll have little props for us. And then the family also wants to do a separate shoot for some golden hour photos on the beach during golden hour. I am still not super confident with posing people yet. Any advice on what you might do to help me get the best quality images throughout the different parts of this shoot? Would one lens be a better option than the other? Are any certain settings that I might recommend? Is there a particular focus area that I think would work best for these situations? Thank you. Wow, Nina. Okay. You've got a really big opportunity coming up. That's wild. Um, it's cool that you're able to dabble in the different areas of like taking photos of like the house itself and then also like doing a family session too. Um, so the two lenses you have, one is the 35 millimeter F 1.8 and one is a 24 to 105 F four. So the differences between those lenses in my eyes mainly is the aperture capabilities. So for that family shoe, I 100% would use that 35 
and keep my aperture on the lower end, maybe f 2.0 or 2.2. So you can really get that portrait look and get like a super quality look to the photos. When you're doing some of these more um, like indoor kind of like real estate types of photos or like brand photos, that's when you might want to mess around with the 24 to 105. Um, I would say if you're outside, the 24 to 105 is going to be great just because if you can go wide, you can go long. Um, but when you're outside, the lighting's better, which means F4 isn't going to be a problem. When you're inside, you're going to probably want to use that 35 millimeter because a lot of the times indoors, the lighting isn't phenomenal, which means you're going to need that aperture to be a little bit lower, like F1.8 or so. Um, so that's what I would recommend for the lenses. Um, any certain settings I might recommend, that's kind of the aperture thing I was just talking about. And then a focus area that might work best. So you were mentioning that you feel like your photos aren't sharp. Maybe mess around. Okay, so you have the Sony a6400. I mean, the best thing I can recommend is using like a tracking focus. If your camera offers some sort of like eye tracking or something, that's going to be the best option. Just kind of mess around with wide focus, spot focus, different stuff like that. When I could not nail my focus for the life of me, I would just keep my focus right in the center. And I knew my subject always has to be in the center and then I'm going to crop it if I need to. Um, so at the end of the day, if it really comes down to it, like just use that center focus and crop it later. But I do feel like if you can use some sort of manual autofocus where you can put like a spot somewhere and you can track them, um, that's honestly the easiest and best option. Um, keep in mind with sharpness, aperture does play a part in sharpness and how much of the background is going to be in focus or not in focus. So with that 35 millimeter, you're going to see that the background is going to get like blurrier as you lower your aperture. So keep that in mind. Your 24 to 105 is actually going to make your photos, I feel like, seem less crisp because it's going to make everything feel in focus. So that might be part of the issue you're dealing with is actually that lens. Even though the aperture can go high, which technically is making your photo crisper, it makes like everything more crisp, which I don't always think is the vibe you're going for. We're jumping into an ad real quick to talk about Aftershoot. Did you know that in 2023, Aftershoot helped photographers edit and cull over 1.15 billion images? They offer AI-assisted editing and AI-assisted culling to make your editing process streamlined and super quick. Aftershoot's AI culling software will select your blurred images, closed-eyed images, your duplicates, and groups them all separately for your convenience, which means you can select and review hundreds of photos in just minutes using Aftershoot. Trust me, I know how long it takes to select and review hundreds, if not thousands of photos from a wedding or a session. And honestly, we don't have time for that. We have better things to do with our business. They also offer a personal AI editing profile. All you have to do is import your edited catalogs and you'll begin to train a custom profile that will imitate your style and do a bulk of the editing task for you. You can also check out their marketplace, which offers 30 pre-built AI styles for photographers looking to try fresh and new editing styles. These pre-built styles are 
they're super easy to preview and you can apply the ones you like in just a few clicks. With Aftershoot, there's no more paying per image. You get unlimited culling and editing for a flat fee. The software also works offline, so you can literally work anywhere and everywhere. Their customer support is available 24-7. Aftershoot also has a fantastic five-star review on Trustpilot, so you can know they're legit and here to help you. Aftershoot is offering Oshoot listeners a free 30-day trial. I promise your editing workflow is going to be absolutely changed after trying Aftershoot. Head on over to the link in the description to claim your 30-day free trial of Aftershoot. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. This next one is from Remy. Remy says, I'm a photographer who is moving from Oahu to Washington State. With that being said, I have a lot of clientele in Oahu inquiring about weddings and other kinds of sessions after I move off island. I'd be more than happy to travel for sessions. I guess I'm just a little lost on where to start when it comes to charging for travel and all the logistics of traveling. Thank you so much for your podcast. It's changed my photography career for the better. Well, first of all, the solution is just send them my way. Like just send the inquiries to me and I'll handle them. Don't worry. Like I'll go to Oahu. You don't need to worry about it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm sure everyone listening was literally thinking the same thing. Like give me the inquiries. Like, what do you mean? Like, (laughs) okay, Remy back to, back to your thing. So you're basically saying like charging for travel and all the logistics when it comes to travel photography, you have to keep in mind your time is valuable plus the cost of travel itself. So you need to be thinking about the time it takes to get there. Um, is it like what a three hour flight from Washington to Oahu, maybe longer. Um, so think about the time it takes for you to get there. Um, also think about the fact that you have to get there a day early probably, and you leave the, the day after. So, you know, you've got two nights of a hotel that you need covered. Let's say it's $250 a night. Honestly, that's probably a little low. So that's $500. Then you've got plane tickets. Let's say it's like 300 one way. I have no idea. Um, but that's something to charge for as well. And then how are you going to get around transportation? That's another thing. That's going to be like another 300 bucks. So right there alone is it, let's see, it ended up being like a thousand one hundred for just the travel plus your time. Maybe it's like you charge 300 for your time as well. We're looking around 1500 for travel costs. Now it's up to you how much of that cost you want to take on yourself. Um, if, if you were someone who lived in Washington state and wanted to get experience in Oahu, I would say maybe you pocket some of those costs. So like you cover the plane ticket or something, if that's something you really want in your portfolio, but because you already have it in your portfolio, I'm like, isn't the thing you're wanting now you want to build your business in Washington because you, you just move from Oahu. So, I mean, it's nice. You have a base in Oahu and you've got your name out there. Um, maybe just figure out what do I feel comfortable charging someone realistically? What do I think someone would be willing to book me at? Maybe you put that cost at a thousand for travel, or maybe you put it at 800 and you know, that's what you're willing to do to get to Oahu. I don't know. Um, but ultimately I think I would think your goal would be to build a little bit more of a base in Washington. So the less you can go to Oahu, the better, Um, if you can swing it, here's the other thing. 
if you can swing it so you have multiple Oahu sessions and like weddings or whatever in like one weekend, let's say you designate one weekend a month that you're going to be there and you shoot a wedding in two sessions or a wedding in whatever, then you can split up the travel costs between people. Maybe you only charge 300 for travel or 500 for travel per person. That's going to help as well. Um, so something to keep in mind too, if you charge one person for travel and they're able to pay it, then everyone else that books you maybe doesn't have a travel fee. So if you can stack up some of your sessions and weddings too, that would be great. Um, you're going to have to start being more selective, tr- truly, um, and start I got charging for the travel. That's wild. Um, yeah. Great, great question, Remy. Honestly, like, like I said, send them my way. I'll go to Oahu, twist my arm. This next one's from Abby. (laughs) Abby says, how the actual heck am I supposed to market on social media? Coming up with real ideas is possibly the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my business. And I'm literally 18 and trying so hard on social media. (laughs) everyone makes it seem so easy, but any advice on how to get attention and reach my ideal clients? Thank you so much, Cassidy. You seem like such an amazing and genuine person. I feel like we are besties from this podcast. Okay, Abby, we are besties from this podcast. So thank you for saying that. I was waiting for you to say it, but like, thank you. (laughs) So how do you market yourself with reels? How do you come up with real ideas? Right now, I feel like every photographer is doing the same exact thing. Every photographer is doing a behind the scenes video and then showing the results of their photo shoot, or they're just doing quick, like clips of their work. And that's literally it kind of using it as like inspo their work as inspo. And here's what I have to say about that. I need photographers to think outside of the box when it comes to reels I need to see more from you guys if you want to actually see growth and if you actually want to see a difference in your social media accounts. So how do we come up with unique real ideas? Number one, when you are scrolling on any social media app, actively take notes of different things you notice about the videos you watch. What are hooks that interest you? What are some uh, lengths of videos that you watch? Is it cut up a lot? Is it one consistent thing. Um, is the audio the reason that you watch it? Is the caption why you're watching it? Are the comments why you're watching a video? What draws you into a video? Okay. Take note of that. Then use those strategies and those ideas that you have. So let's say you notice you watch videos that are longer than a minute. You watch it because the person's talking to the camera and there's a lot of cuts. Okay. Those are things you notice. So now as a photographer, what are you going to do? You're going to make videos that are over a minute long, have a lot of cuts and you're talking to the camera. Start there. Start by thinking of yourself as the user and then make ideas from there. I love to be active on social media and get ideas from other niches. So if I see someone that is a makeup artist and they do something and I'm like, I feel like that would be so fun to try in my own niche of photography. I'll go and take like inspo from that. If you take inspo, make sure you give credit. If, if you literally like copy the video, but take inspo from different niches and apply it to your own niche. Let's just brainstorm a few real ideas while we're here. Okay. While we're talking about it. Number one, talking to the camera, talk about your process. 
I want to see videos of you guys showing your editing process, how you remove things from photos, how you edit a photo, how you crop a photo. Okay. Maybe you screen record your laptop screen. Okay. That's an option. I want to see you guys mic'd up and I want to see the behind the scenes of you shooting and posing. I want to see how you talk to clients. Okay. That's another option. Um, I want to see you guys, let's see, talking a little bit more about you as a person. Um, I want to see what your life is like. These are going to be more videos that are for your followers, not necessarily for new people. Um, but I, I want to see more about your everyday life as a photographer. What do you do? What does your um, work day look like? That's a great day in the life video. That would be really fun. And then another option is an intro video. I There's a photographer I follow who blew up. He gained, I think it was like 50,000 followers in like a month because he posted a video where he literally introed himself and said, hi, this is me. And I do, uh, like I do short films. And then he just showed a bunch of clips from his short films and it was like, it blew up and he got so many followers because that intro really showed people who he was and why you should follow him. So those are all real ideas. Think outside the box. Think outside of your niche and you'll get ideas. Okay. Do some research on videos that perform well for you. Recreate videos, etc. Great question, Abby. Okay. Next we have Hannah. Hannah says, hi, I'm so excited you're doing an advice column. I messaged this problem to you on Instagram, but I'm diving into a little bit more detail here. Okay. I didn't see your message on Instagram, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oh, this is long guys. Buckle up. So where I'm located is in the military spouse community. Um, and within the military spouse community, photography is the new MLM. Ella, I can't speak MLM and is basically seen as a joke, which makes me so sad. I've seen so many people offering full photo packages for basically nothing like 50 or $75. Even people setting up little backdrops and charging to take phone pics. Not everyone is like this. A lot are military wives with cute photography businesses, but I feel like the military community is so full of photographers. It's not like there are enough clients anymore. It sounds weird to say, but like someone will do a Facebook post needing a photographer for a shoot they want in the bases wife's page. And within an hour, there are 70 plus responses of people saying they'd love to shoot for them. It's wild. It's so saturated, but I still love it. I started again after having this camera for 10 years because I love taking high quality pictures of my two little kids and I'm doing it for our close friends it, here and there word of mouth referrals. But honestly, I just don't think I like, <laughs> I just don't think, wait, what? Oh, I don't think being different and unique is enough to make and to make. Oh my gosh. I cannot speak. I don't think being different or unique is enough to make anything else out of photography other than a hobby in this market. Okay. I have to apologize for that sentence guys. I'm so sorry. I know I need to find my ideal clients and I don't need to cater to the lowball prices that are looking for for pricing, not quality, but still this whole process has been so discouraging. I've lost so much motivation. I don't plan on trying to grow my business anymore. Just keeping it to close friends. Do you have any advice on just how to navigate this or have you seen anything like this before? Wow. That is wild. I've never seen anything like that. Um, 
my advice would be doing something completely different outside of like mini sessions and in-home shoots and couple shoots, doing something that is so drastically different and doing it maybe in a way that the only way that people find out about it is word of mouth. I could see when in a situation like that, I could see people valuing like an exclusive type of vibe, you know, because everyone's a photographer, everyone's trying to take photos. I want to, if I were in that scenario, I would want to use the one photographer that like is sought, sought after almost like playing hard to get, you know what I mean? And I kind of think that's what you're doing because you said you're only doing word of mouth and referral based, but within that word of mouth and referral type of scenario, like that's your only marketing, do something that gives people something to talk about. Okay. It's kind of like PR almost, but like, can you do a specific type of shoot or can you maybe create a social media presence? So then people want to work with you because that sets you apart. Ultimately you do have to figure out what is going to set me apart. Is it my social media presence? Is it a specific type of session that I do that's unique to me? Um, I don't know. Is it the type of photos I take? Is it completely different? Maybe no one shoots film where, where you are. So maybe that's something you can do. Um, ultimately I think that's going to be your best bet, but I mean, I still think there are people out there who value high quality images in a high quality experience. Um, people that are not charging a ton for their photography services, I'm sure they're slacking in some way. I'm sure there's some disconnect where they're not giving a great experience. Maybe they're not delivering a ton of photos. Maybe just the quality of the work is not there. So just kind of look into the gaps and ask yourself, where is there a gap and how can I fill that gap? Okay. I was literally just, I just had a mentor call before this and in, I had this idea of something that is lacking in the photography industry. There's a literal gap. And I'm like, I feel like this needs to be filled. That's what you need to do within your space. Where is there a gap and where does it need to be filled? That's a question you have to ask yourself. Um, and no, I've never seen anything like that before. That's wild. <laughs> Okay. I'm a new photographer who likes to focus on couples and weddings, but have been getting a lot of family inquiries. I definitely need the practice and content to build a portfolio, but it's getting to a point where it's becoming my niche on accident. I like to do family shoots, but again, I don't want it to be my niche. Do you think I should not do these bookings anymore or should I just do them and not post them on my socials? Just wondering what your, th your thoughts are on that. So it's funny because I feel like that's, you know, once you start to get known for something, it starts to become your niche, whether you like it or not. If you don't want to be booking it anymore, plain and simple, stop giving people opportunities to hear about it. Um, I think you're at a point probably where you just want to make some money in photography just to reinvest it back into your business. So I would say keep doing the family shoots, but stop posting about it for sure and start focusing more on couples is what it sounds like. Yeah. Couples and weddings. You need to get that content out there. Um, whether that's something you already have, or you go and create that content that's post what you want people to see post what you want to book. Okay. This next one's from Sabrina. 
Hey, first off, thank you for doing what you do. You've motivated me so much and taught me so much. I really need advice on posing. I feel as though the composition plays a huge role in a photo. So how do you pose people and do you do certain poses for a certain type of photography? How do you learn and feel comfortable with posing people? What sources have helped you with posing? Those are really great questions. Um, So with posing, first of all, I have like full behind the scenes videos on my YouTube channel of me at a shoot, like talking to couples and how I pose. So I think that would be really helpful for you just to see like, how do you communicate these things to people? How do you tell them what to do? How do you get the shot? Whatever. That would be a great resource for you. Um, when I pose people, I basically do kind of like the same posing at the beginning of every session And then I start to branch off and start to feel what I feel like my clients are good at posing wise. Do I feel like they're really giddy and giggly? If so, I'll do a lot of like movement and smiles and laughter and like I'll have them do crazy poses because I know it'll make them laugh. Okay. If I feel like my couples are a little bit more editorial and you know, they're better at, you know, more of like that serious vibe. I'll start to gear my poses towards that when I'm shooting. So I definitely do it kind of based on the feeling I'm getting from my clients. Um, Is there a specific resource that helped me with posing? Honestly, sometimes before shoot, if I'm going to a specific place like the beach, I'll go on Pinterest and just look at like beach engagement photos or whatever it is I'm shooting. Couples photos, family photos. And I'll go and I'll just look at the photos I'm drawn to and I'll be like, okay, why do I like this photo? Well, I like it because there's a lot of grain. I like it because there's movement. I like it because um, whatever. And that kind of helps me at the beginning of a session kind of get an idea in the back of my head. If there's a moment where there's a lull and I feel like, oh, I don't know what pose to do. I'll kind of in my head refer back to those poses. Um, Yeah. Okay. This next one's from Anna. I'm a portrait photographer just getting into the wedding industry. I've had a few wedding client meetings and booked one so far. I had a question come up that I wasn't sure how to answer. They said, we're still deciding on if we're doing a first look or an aisle reveal. Can you send us a gallery of both so we can look them over and decide? I ended up saying that the timelines are the major difference on the wedding day and we can still make sure we get all of the portraits with, with whatever they choose and that the timelines will give them a better idea of how the day will unfold. Then I walked them through both timelines and they moved on. Keep in mind, I said this because I didn't have galleries to show. Is it shady to not tell them straight up? I booked the wedding and now in the back of my mind, I'm going to be wondering if they'll ask me again for the galleries. I just feel like I should have said something different, but in the moment, I didn't want to scare off my first wedding clients. I've mentored with wedding photographers and I feel confident I can capture their day in a way that they'll love. I just want them to feel confident in their decision to hire me. Please send me your thoughts on how I handled the situation and any advice for future meetings when someone might ask for something similar. Love your podcast. It's helped me so much in my first couple years of business. Okay. Well, girl, you're bold for saying that. Like I, the hardest thing in the wedding industry is when photographers go from second photographers to main photographers, because it's like, 
how do you get that first wedding? Getting that first wedding is literally the hardest. And how do you do it without being dishonest or catfishing someone? I don't know. Like, I feel like you just have to show that you're confident in your ability to capture a wedding day. And like, if they ask you straight up, don't like dodge the question, but be honest with them. In your case, they asked you for a full wedding gallery. I think they were just asking, they just needed an answer and they thought that maybe a gallery would help them decide whether or not they wanted to do a first look. So I think you were right in being like, it's more a matter of timeline that is affected by that. Um, I don't think you're wrong by doing that by any means, because I don't know what a gallery would necessarily give them other than to show them the different, like, okay, you get your portraits either before the wedding or after the wedding. Like that's literally it. Um, so I think you answered the question. Well, um, yeah, I probably would have handled it the same way. Um, and honestly at this point, because you already booked them, I, I don't know. I feel like I would avoid trying to like tell them it's my first wedding, like solo wedding, because that would just scare them. Honestly. Um, I think if you've second shot enough and you've shadowed enough, like, you know how to capture a wedding. Like if Charlie had to go and shoot his own wedding today, I know he could because he's done it enough as a second shooter. He like, he's observed me enough that I don't think he would even need to tell someone that it's his first wedding. Like I know he could do it. Um, so yeah, I would say that (laughs) I would just leave it at that. I think you did good. This one's from, um, Veronica. Veronica says, I need help with booking more weddings. I'm expecting a baby in May and I need bookings for the end of 2024 and all of 2025 to make ends meet. I just signed up for the knot and wedding wire. I mark it on Facebook and Instagram. I've reached out to photographers who are fully booked and asked them to refer brides my way if possible. I've tried Facebook groups. I don't know how else to get bookings. Send help. Okay. So I guess like a question I have for you is, how much do you have in your portfolio? How much experience do you have? Um, cause that does impact like if you're able to show someone a full gallery or not. Um, your question really is how do you market yourself? Um, the knot and wedding wire, uh, it's either hit or miss for some people. Um, you market yourself on Facebook and Instagram, I, w- I would dive deeper into how are you marketing yourself on Facebook and Instagram? Are you targeting people that are your ideal client? And are you being too salesy? Are you showing your personality? Are you, you know, those are things to think about as well. Um, another way to get clients is just by going in your inner circle of friends and family and just finding out who's getting married offering to shoot it for a discounted rate if you need it. Um, Honestly, (laughs) I'm a little stressed for you (laughs) because you're expecting in May. Um, I mean, maybe you get into newborn photography. That could be a great thing for you. If you find that maybe your circle of people are starting to have kids, transition your business to newborns, use your own kid as a model. And then, you know, you can start to kind of grow that. Um, I will always say the more experience you have, the more it's going to grow naturally. The more you work with people, the more you get your name out there, the more you grow your portfolio. Um, I'd also be interested in hearing more about your website, how your website looks, 
Do you have good branding? Does your website accurately display your ability to take photos? Um, Do people feel like they can connect with you well on your website? Those are all things to think about. Um, And if you're really desperate, I've heard that sometimes Google ads, like becoming that first pop-up for like Michigan wedding photographer, that first website that pops up, sometimes that is helpful. I don't know. But I don't want to like encourage you to start dumping more money into things too. I think there's plenty of free ways to market yourself that would be beneficial. Okay. We have so many more and not enough time. This always happens to me. Okay. Let me sort through some of these. Okay. I'm skipping this one. Okay. How do you build a relationship with your clients? Oh, this is from Jennifer, by the way. How do you build a relationship with your clients before a session? As an introvert, I find it difficult to know what kind of questions to ask clients. I don't want to sound awkward or ask the wrong things. What are some good icebreakers you think will help my clients feel comfortable and confident booking with me and feel good about their session coming up? I think there's this misconception in photography that you have to be this super introverted, happy, bubbly person in order to have your clients like you. But that's not the case. And I do want you to know people book photographers that they feel like are similar to themselves. So the people that have booked you most likely get this feeling that you are similar to them in some way. So that's just like a reassuring thing that I want you to know is your clients already are more similar to you than you think. Um, I would say to build a relationship with your clients before start with the basics, follow them on Instagram, interact with their content, send them an email every once in a while, check up on them, see if they need anything. If there's any thing they need help with outfit wise, if it's a session wedding wise, do they need help with the timeline, whatever, check in with them, offer to hop on phone calls, um, offer to go get coffee with them. Um, a great thing, if you feel like you're, you kind of have a disconnect with your clients, maybe you go to coffee with them, um, either before they book with you or right after they book with you, just to kind of talk through things. That would be a great thing. Make it optional maybe, but, um, that's kind of a great way to build a relationship with people just, you know, going and having a normal in-person interaction (laughs) is great. If you can't do that, zoom calls is also a great option. Um, And then you said good icebreakers that will help your clients feel comfortable and confident booking with you. I mean, your portfolio and your experience speaks for itself. Um, I think if you can just have a good initial email that just really makes your clients feel secure in the fact that you know what you're doing, I think is what a lot of people look for. They, you know, you're looking for someone that is an industry expert, has experience, someone that takes photos the way that you like and has a personality that they feel like is going to match up with your yours, you know, like they want someone similar to them. So those are all things to think about. Um, yeah, I'd say those are just the few things it's, it is hard out here as an introverted photographer. I get it. Okay. Skylar says, I want to start a podcast, but have no idea where to start or what gear to get. Should I just start with audio or jump into audio and video? I'm so lost and your advice would be so helpful. Thank you. Great question. This is something that actually is covered in my find your influence course that I'm launching, but I will, I'll give you guys a few of the secrets. Don't you worry. Um, so 
honestly, not to be that person, but like the thing that helped me when I started my podcast was literally Googling and looking up a bunch of different resources on how to start a podcast. There's so many different types of gear that you can get. Like I'm using an audio MIDI to record this. Um, some people record onto like SD cards and then import it into their computer. There's so many different types of mics out there. Um, so just kind of do your research, figure out maybe what's the best, like affordable podcast mic that you can get. I think a lot of the times people let the hurdle of, Oh, I don't know what gear to get. I don't know what software to use. So I'm just not going to do it. People let that get in the way of them actually starting. Um, I would say start it and figure it out as you go. Um, your question. Okay, wait, let me make sure I'm actually answering your question before I move on. Um, where to start, what gear to get when you are starting your podcast, think about the topics you want to talk about. Like, what do you want your podcast to be about? Um, do you want to have recurring episodes? Do you want to have guests? Like what's the vibe? That's a really good question to ask. Um, and then, like I said, gear wise, you can Google the best things to have. I actually have it on my Amazon storefront, all the gear that I use. I use like the Sure podcast mic. Um, I have a Scarlet audio MIDI thing and then I use GarageBand to edit. Um, and then you'll have to have some sort of dis- distribution website to distribute your podcast, host it, and then distribute it onto all of the different platforms. So that's basically it for the podcast. And honestly, guys, I don't have time for more submissions. I have more to answer, but I literally don't have time. Thank you guys so much for submitting. Like always, this podcast would not be as honestly as interesting, or I wouldn't be able to do these episodes without your submissions. So thank you guys so much for just submitting and trusting me with things you need advice on. Whether or not that's good advice is up to you to decide, but I'll always give advice. Um, I'll always shell it out for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to participate in any of these episodes and submit, check out my podcast Instagram. It's called Oh Shoot Podcast. That's where I'm going to post all of the story submission links and all of that. So go check that out. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode this week. And I will see you next week for another episode. Bye. With all of the highlights and the shadows is my composure All the layers above, all the edits and tweaks, I know her I am so done, need more time developing in my red room It doesn't matter wherever I am on the top of the mountain or down in quicksand Whatever the moment, wherever we stand, I'm taking it doesn't matter wherever I am on the top of the mountain or down in quicksand Whatever the moment, wherever we stand I'm taking you, taking you, taking you Getting a little bit higher With different step I take I'm getting good Getting a little bit better I'm climbing to the top Never gonna stop We're gone.